Good morning, everyone. Good morning. That's no, fine. If I could get that last slide about the game event, there is an event coming up. Um, I was wondering the exact date, but for those who didn't make their grand finals or just want to have fellowship and play games and share lunch, I think it's 2 March, right? That, the one with the games? That one. So 2 March, 12.30 p.m. Come on out. It should be good. Um, Yeah, it's excellent. I didn't hear that comment. Oh, right. <laughs> there's a women's retreat coming up. There's, I bring it up because there's a flyer. It's in June, so it's a while off. But uh, we do have a speaker, Gwen, whom you, many of you know. And uh, it's a great opportunity to have fellowship and a great weekend away but not having to go far, just to Camp Kedron down the road. So um, in, invite all you ladies to that, and young ladies as well. Uh, why don't we pray? Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy toward us all. Thank you for the great joy you've given us by adopting us into your family, by giving us exceedingly great promises, and, and just for you, your faithfulness to us, that you, you never fail. Your love, it's, it's continually pursuing us and active for our good and, and your glory. And thank you, Lord, for this time to gather. It's such a privilege. It's such an honor to be able to meet in your name, to proclaim your good news, to just revel in how awesome you are, and to do that as one body in Jesus Christ. Thank you for uniting us to, in your name. And Lord, may we fear you. May we humble ourselves before you. Please fill us with your spirit so we might understand these truths and lay them to heart in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Years ago when I found out that my uh, car insurance didn't cover towing or roadside assist, having older cars, I thought, you know, it's probably a, a good idea to get NRMA and so... We became a member of that group, and uh, it wasn't until I logged into the app months later that I found that there were all these benefits of being a member that I, I didn't really sign up for. I didn't know. It was just part of being a member. You have all these things, and uh, you had discounts on movie tickets and cruises or fuel, hotels, parking, rental cars, attractions, car parts, like all this stuff. And then just for drill, I logged in when I thought of this it, with the message. And now you have 3,500 restaurants up to 20% off throughout all Australia. And granted, these are like limited items and you may not actually save money. You may spend a lot more money to use these benefits. But the, the point that I'm making is I never thought to ask or that I was entitled to a a discount because of my membership, it's not until I knew about it that I would think to claim it. Have you guys ever perhaps had a promise from God or something that he actually, he had freed you from that thing, but you didn't realize that the freedom came with following Jesus Christ. And, and it's like, you didn't draw upon that. You were still afraid. You were still worried, but you didn't have to be because that was a benefit of being a child of God. So, I mean, 
looking into member benefits has shown me pretty much how much I could have saved, not much I am saving. Um, but that will help me in making decisions for the future, right? And when we recognize in God's word, and that's why I'm really loving Ephesians, because Paul's talking about your identity in Christ, who God is. Who God is, what he's called you to be, what he's given you, the things that he, he expects, but he empowers us to do, these blessings. And what's really crazy is, though we don't really realize the benefits at the time, God is gracious and he extends them to us, and he also has purposes that, without even knowing, he's accomplishing. So that's just the power of our God and his grace. Uh, I think our our lack of knowledge concerning what it means to be part of the body of Christ has led to spiritual poverty and weakness and fear and worry. And we didn't realize that Christ was the end of the law to those who believe. Think about all the people who go through their life as a believer who, because they don't understand the blessings God's promised them already, they don't live according to having them. We can be overwhelmed with guilt for not keeping the law that Jesus has freed us from because he's the end of the law to all those who believe. And we can fear generational curses that Jesus has broken because of faith in him. And we don't realize that we are seated with Christ in the heavens and we don't have to plead hopelessly that he's going to hear our prayers or be with us when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I mean, as we're reading this, this book, that we've received every spiritual blessing, that we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ, that we have this close relationship with him, I've just been really encouraged by that. And our identity in Christ. And I pray that God would open our eyes to see the many benefits of following Jesus and the purpose that he has by his grace. So starting in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. In the previous chapter, Paul explained how Jews and Gentiles had been united as one in Christ. Not just bringing the Gentile up to the level of Jews as God's people, but that he was creating a new body comprised of Jew and Gentiles where Christ is the head. This everlasting connection we have through faith in him and his spirit. And the middle wall of hostility between the groups he has broken down because The Jews had one way of life according to the traditions of the law and the Gentiles were pagans and heathen and just doing their own thing. And yet that division did not need to exist because Christ had made them one in him. And we were the ones who were far off that he's brought near by his grace. And it says in Ephesians 2.18, for through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Think of the millions of people since Paul wrote this who relied upon priests or pastors to pray for them, thinking that they couldn't be forgiven unless they went through a person. Think of the people that's come into a church or a synagogue or a temple and thought 
this is, this is a holy place because the Spirit of God dwells in this building. When we read in the Bible, he does not dwell in houses built with hands, but now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and he dwells within you. So he lives in your heart and people didn't realize that. They hadn't come to grips with that even after Paul gave us this in the word and in other places as well. Paul's praying for, he's seeking to, to communicate these truths to the believers and to us. And verses 2 through 13, it's really a digression. He's thinking, well, there's people among the Ephesians that really don't know the story. They don't know the history of, of that I'm writing to them from prison and that I've been in prison for the sake of the gospel, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And he, so backtracking a little bit, while he was going into the temple and fulfilling a vow, there were some people who accused him of polluting the temple. Hey, he's brought Gentiles in here. He's, he's polluted this holy place. He's desecrated it. And he starts getting beat up. So the Romans come, they arrest him. He wasn't the troublemaker, but for his own safety, they arrest him and he says, hey, allow me to address this crowd. And Paul began to talk about his conversion and about how he was born again and how Jesus appeared to him and that he was opening a way of salvation to the Gentiles. And it says, at that word, they lost it. And they said, off with his head. This man's not fit to live. And the, and the Roman guy's like, what is this guy? What is he guilty of that everyone wants to kill him he must be he must have done something wrong he must have started an insurrection or something so he brings him in well Paul he ends up being taken away he's in prison for years but he doesn't feel hard done by by these false accusations that he had become a political pawn that he had to even appeal to Caesar after several years of imprisonment just to get a fair trial so his own countrymen didn't kill him he didn't view himself as a victim, but as a prisoner of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? That he's, a, he's like, Jesus has imprisoned me. I'm sure that if you're a prisoner and there was a guard who locked you in every night and brought your meal, you may be a little, have some angst towards that person. Like, you're keeping me here against my will. You know that, you know that there's no reasonable charge why I am here and why my freedom is being denied. But he's like, I'm a prisoner of Christ for your sakes, and it's benefiting you. So he remained fruitful and joyous because of that perspective, God's grace. Sometimes do you feel like you're a victim of circumstances? Paul could have seen himself that way, but instead he saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus. No matter... What fiery trial we're going through, no matter what season, in this dispensation, that's an economy of grace. We can be fruitful. We can embrace that new season with joy, knowing that Jesus has us. And he's, the Spirit of God is within us. And his promises are true for us. According to his grace, God revealed to Paul something that had never been known before. And Paul's not saying he's the only one who received this revelation. We see throughout uh, the New Testament and Jesus, the apostles and the prophets, that this revelation of the church, God's fulfillment of what he had alluded to in the Old Testament, but had never said explicitly that from Jew and Gentile, he would make them both one in Christ, the Messiah who would come. No one predicted it. No one guessed it. The church is never mentioned in the Old Testament. And though some translators or uh, people who have compiled the scriptures 
if you notice, like in the Psalms and Proverbs or Psalms or, or the prophets, you'll see like God's blessings to the church to help us understand. But it really should be better said God's people because the church wasn't around in the Old Testament. It's it may be alluding to, we can apply those verses to us as children of God, but it's not about the church. It was about Israel. It was about his people. The church wasn't birthed until the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples as they waited and tarried in Jerusalem according to Christ's promise and his command. And that mystery was made known through apostles and prophets in Paul's day. Something that, and that's what, what the word mystery means in this context is it's not something that we don't really know about, that we're just trying to guess, just figure out what it is. It's something that's been completely revealed, but prior was unknown. It had not been known, but it's been revealed by God. It took divine revelation to know this. So what was the mystery revealed to Paul and others through the Holy Spirit? Verse 5, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Isn't it fitting that this message that the church had been birthed and was, the doors were open, this body was now comprised of Gentile and Jew, came from Jews, like Jesus and Paul. It wasn't the Gentiles saying, hey, we want to be included. We, we deserve it. We have a right. See all these scriptures? It wasn't that way. It was the Jews saying, this door of salvation has been opened to the Gentiles, and you can be saved just like us. You can be baptized with the Spirit even as we have. And that shocked them. Remember when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers in Cornelius' household? They'd say, the Holy Spirit fell on them as he did upon us at the first. Who can forbid water that they've been baptized with the Spirit even as we have? And so they recognize, hey, they've been included, and they marveled. So God has given salvation to the Gentiles too. And then for the Gentiles to realize, God's given you not just the opportunity to become Jewish in culture or in practice, but to become one of the body of Christ, of Jesus. That we can be adopted, that we can be, it says here, fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise. The filling of the Holy Spirit, the salvation by grace. Paul was made a minister here, and the term minister, it wasn't a title like um, when I had to get a visa in Australia, I, I had a permanent resident visa called a minister of religion. So I was a minister. It's kind of a title, right? But he's not using it in that sense, like with any status or he had, he had filled the requirements. It was basically saying, I am a diakonos or a servant, one who was sent on errands, a waiter, a slave, somebody who had a master. So that wouldn't have impressed anybody. For him to say, you know, I'm a slave, I do menial tasks uh, at someone else's command, I serve. He's saying, I'm a minister, and Christ made me this minister. And he never earned the right to be that minister. It was all by the grace of God. His testimony as a hater of Christ, who became a disciple who preached Christ and proclaimed him to others, was a demonstration of, get this, the effective working of his power, God's power. 
Now, when you think of the power of God, what might come to mind? Okay, creation. Something like thunderbolts, right? Earth-shattering power. Something that the heavens and the earth shake. The creation, all these things. But he's saying a demonstration of the effective working of God's power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, is taking me from being a Pharisee and a hater of God to now being his servant. So that blows my mind. The fact that Paul had become a co-heir with Christ, that he was part of Jesus' body, the Messiah, that he's a servant of God. And we can be discouraged, can't we? Because we say, where's the power of God? Where's the power of God in the church? Shouldn't we be seeing this and this? Shouldn't I be seeing all these things happening? And we should be experiencing the power of God and the presence of God because wherever the presence of God is, there is miraculous power, right? But understand the effective demonstration of his power was in Paul's regeneration and Paul's usefulness and Paul being connected to the body of Christ. That was the effective power of God on display. And we can overlook that as nothing. The fact that you are a child of God, the fact that you have been and are being transformed more into the image of God, that you're useful for him at all, that's effective power of God on display. How awesome is that? Not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, but by his grace. More powerful than tsunamis and earthquakes and lightning bolts and things that we say, well, that's God's power. Ephesians 3, verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Paul, a recipient of God's grace, he didn't think of himself more highly than he ought. The gift of God he had received did not result in pride or arrogance. He viewed himself as least of all the saints. So if you feel unworthy, well, there's hope for you in Jesus because I'm the least of the saints. And he's given me this privilege. He's given me this revelation, this effective power of God's at work in my life. He who previously persecuted Christ, he proclaimed the unsearchable riches of life of Christ, excuse me. His role was to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. So to show how God's plan had been fulfilled in the church, that the Father created all things through Jesus, and now he birthed a totally new way to approach God through faith in Christ, through the gospel. And when Paul said all, he doesn't just mean people. He's talking about angelic beings. And this passage opens up a world of understanding I really hadn't considered before. Because when we think about the gifts God's given, he says, freely you have received, freely give. As you have been forgiven, you should forgive others, right? The things that he has provided us by his grace, we too should show to others. The gospel that we've received, this position that we have by his grace, 
we are to share the good news of Christ's salvation with others so that they too can know God and be part of that family. And God got one revealed purpose of the church in this passage is to share, um, it says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. When we're born again, our lives are a living testimony, not only to people who observe us and recognize there's a change in this person, but to angelic beings, to angels and demons, to spirits in the heavenly places. Stott said this, he said, it's as if a great drama is being enacted. History is the theater, the world is the stage, the church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play and he directs and produces it act by act, scene by scene, the story continues to unfold. But who are the audience? They are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That is pretty wild, isn't it? What's wild? That a purpose of the church existing is for God to teach lessons to angelic beings. I think about those who had witnessed Paul before and after his conversion, the transformation they saw in him, and perhaps his rage and hatred against God and the Christians was, was fueled partially by demonic power, those influences over his life. But then those were the same powers that were cast out by Jesus. And now he is interceding with Jesus on behalf of other people, and Jesus is praying for him. And the angels see this, and they go, wow, how, how does this add up? This is amazing. This is remarkable. And they heard him while he was in prison. They saw the things that he endured, and they knew he had a relationship with God because the Holy Spirit was in him, and Jesus was interceding to the Father on his behalf. And they saw this all go down. Now, you may not feel that your life is of great public interest. You know, you're not famous. People don't know you. You're not a celebrity. But know that there are powers and principalities observing this fellowship of believers and your life, and God is teaching them lessons through you. And you don't even know that. Like it or not, that's what's happening. They are blown away by the work of God here among each one of us. In 1 Peter 1, 2, excuse me, 1, 12, uh, it says that the fact that the Holy Spirit has been sent from heaven, it's one of the things which angels desire to look into. There's this interest that angels have in the lives of God's redeemed. Because I don't really understand angels. The Bible doesn't speak about angels very much. I personally don't talk about angels unless the Bible expressly talks about them. Like it's not... This isn't something that I'm prying into angels and how they live and how they think. I don't know. But this is a purpose of the church revealed in Scripture that God wants to reveal by the church to these principalities and powers that we talk about, we'll talk about in Ephesians chapter 6, these same spiritual powers that we might be against. It's like we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers in, the, in these high places. Those are the principalities and powers referred to here. We talk about God having a plan, but do you realize that this is part of God's plan? That he'd use your life in this way, unbeknownst to you, but now you know. Pretty cool. 
Should we approve of God's plans? Like, God, I really don't like your plan. I think your plan is creepy and weird. I don't really understand how this is supposed to work out. But God's righteous and he's good. We can trust him. That God would choose you to be a living example of the effective power working towards us to not only people, but to angelic hosts. This is an eternal purpose. This is right from the scripture. This is an eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Have you ever felt out of your depth? I have. Uh, we have moments you're told to prepare this presentation for the CEO or you're, you have a pet that's really taxing or a new child or a new situation at work. Uh, what really should be a surprise is how often we feel up to the task when the Bible says without Christ we can do nothing. And we can feel up to the task sometimes and, and we ought to think, well, why do I feel up to the task ever when I can only do it through him? It's good to know that you're out of your depth so that you rely upon Jesus for everything. That's a good place to be when you go, wow, this is overwhelming. Lord, you have to lift my head. You've got to give me hope and help here because there's nothing I can do to change the situation. I'm not up for it. I can't teach anybody anything. And God's like, I know. That, even that realization is the effective working of God's power towards you, that you would know that, that you could realize that you're not sufficient and you're not able. That's God teaching you something. So it's in Christ, not in our calling, our gifts, our enthusiasm. We have boldness with access through Jesus. It says boldness and access with confidence through faith. And just for uh, illustration, it used to be that one person, the high priest in Israel, in accordance to the law, would have the blood of the sacrifice upon him. He would have the holy oil that he had been anointed with, and he would go into the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of the people, wearing the correct clothes one day a year. And if you're an angel who has access to the throne room of God, I, I figure, I just imagine it being a pretty quiet place in those days wasn't a lot of activity like one day like okay here's the big day and I don't know I, you can just picture a hologram in your mind if you want but here's this priest he comes before the presence of God he's in the presence of God in the holy place making atonement for a few moments one day but after Jesus our high priest atoned for our sins and accomplished the salvation of souls on Calvary having birthed the church by his sacrifice we, who now have been washed in the blood of Jesus, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, clothed in his righteousness, now have access and confidence and faith in Christ to come before God at any time. So that became a real busy, noisy place. Where the angels, they was like, man, this place used to be quiet, but now it is filled with all these colorful characters, people from all over the world. And, and Jesus is praying for each one of them. What has changed? What has happened? And there, there, I could just see a couple angels over the corner, and I'm just praying, and they're like, who's this guy? Oh, yeah, he's that guy that he used to be a tradie, and God retrenched him as a pastor, and I heard Jesus praying for him before. Oh, okay. And who's she? 
is she Jewish? No, no, she's not Jewish. She's, she's from someplace called Australia. You know, and she totally used to be against God, but now she, Jesus prays for her too. And she's in here all the time. She's, she's like, she never leaves this place. You're like, well, they just let anybody in here. Where's security? But the thing is, there has been a changed condition that we don't really realize, but in the heavenly places, it's dynamic. It's, it's eternal. And the angels are like, wow, the power of God to change these people who weren't even allowed in. And now they're fellow heirs with Jesus, God. And God lives in them. And he prays for them. And he works through them. And he's transforming in ways they don't even realize. There's a constant parade of countless people in Christ's throne room who come before him boldly and confidently to pray, to intercede on behalf of others, even their enemies, because of what Jesus did on the cross and how he's demonstrated his love for us. What sort of conversation might the angels have about you? I bet there's been some big changes in your life since Jesus washed you clean and he made you new. And you realize, too, that we have so far to go, right? So far to go to be more like Jesus. There's a lot of growth that we can have in our prayer life, in our faith, and just to believe what his word has said. Ephesians 3, verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. When Paul left Ephesus, it said the people there, knowing they would see his face no more, they wept for him. They really loved him, and they were going to miss him. And they knew that he was in prison largely because of his testimony to the Gentiles, that he had brought the gospel to the Gentiles. And because of that, the temptation was to lose heart, to, to have regrets or to wish that things had happened differently. But Paul said, don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart because of the suffering that I'm facing or the, that I'm imprisoned. It's not a waste. It's not a tragedy. Remember, he's a prisoner of Christ. Jesus was willing to lay down his life on Calvary so sinners could be saved and the church birthed. Paul, by the power of the Spirit, he was willing to suffer shame. He was willing to be ostracized even by people he loved and to be incarcerated, even lose his life for the sake of Christ so that both Jew and Gentile could be redeemed. It was so God's manifold wisdom would be made known to all the principalities and powers, that God's wisdom would be made known. And it wasn't out of the goodness of his heart that he endured these tragedies or difficulties, all these shipwrecks and beatings and hardships. It was due to God's goodness and his grace and his glory. Jesus paid a price to save, and Paul paid a price to share that grace by faith. See, God determines the price we pay. Are you willing to pay? And uh, in that moment, we're not wanting to pay or willing to pay, but by his grace, we can show forth the manifold wisdom of his grace um, when we, we remember, you know, those who suffer with Jesus, they'll be glorified with Jesus. 
Because Paul was a Jew united in one body with the church of the Gentiles in Ephesus, he says, I bow my knees in prayer to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as he was led by the Spirit. And I love this. He, he could have been feeling sorry for himself. Instead, he's just praying for other people. And he's not even giving them prayer requests. He's not saying, guys, it's been pretty tough. Pray for me. He does that in other places. But here, he's like, you know, I pray for you. And to have a prisoner who's praying for you, that's humbling and encouraging, isn't it? That you're like, well, this guy, he's going through hard stuff, and yet he loves me and he's praying for me. And I can be praying for others as well even when I'm suffering and struggling. Since God has a triune nature, and we sung a song this morning that uh, reflected that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all parts of the Godhead are worthy of worship and adoration. And that pattern of praying to the Father, it starts with Jesus. We see it here as well. Um, Understanding that Jesus is our mediator, we pray to the Father. So Paul addresses his words to the Father knowing that he's filled with the Spirit and that Jesus is interceding on his behalf. It's like if he just prays to Jesus, he's not really uh, involving all parties. And some people feel, I've just heard this on occasion, like, well, the Holy Spirit's a bit left out. We should pray to him. And Jesus, we should address prayers to him too. Now, it's not a sin to pray to either of those, but we're actually magnifying their offices when we pray as Paul did here, realizing that the Holy Spirit has filled me Jesus Christ is interceding for me, and I address my prayers to the Father, and I'm involving them all because Jesus, he says, I didn't come to glorify myself, but my Father in heaven. And the Holy Spirit wasn't sent to to glorify his own office, but to speak of Christ and to glorify him. And so having that knowledge, there's a reason why Paul prays the way he does. We approach the Father boldly, Through Jesus, we have access to the presence of God and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And what does Paul pray? He prays that God would grant according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So the riches of God's glory. Can those riches of God's glory be measured? There's no measure of the infinite, right? God's glory is infinite. It's eternal. And so he prays for this infinite power and strength of God through the Spirit to empower God's people from within. He says, strengthen them on the inside. He doesn't pray for a change in their circumstances, a shift in the political climate, or a break from tribulation, or even physical health. As he does throughout the book, his primary focus in prayer is the enduring, the spiritual, and what honors and glorifies God. And so I really encourage you guys, in your prayers... Pray, both for yourself and for others, about things that endure beyond just this temporal life. And when we pray about God's glory, about the strength and the inner man, those things are enduring. Those are eternal. And this emphasizes the sufficiency and strength that God provides. There's so many cheap, superficial fixes when we feel overwhelmed in times of difficulty. We, we tend to rush towards those things, right? People... We want to change the circumstances. We want to try to make things better, but recognize we can seek the Lord and find strength to endure in Him. Verse 17, continuing that prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height 
to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He prayed that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Now, when the Ephesians were born again, didn't Christ, the Spirit of Christ, dwell within their hearts through faith? Well, yeah, he certainly did. But I think a little booklet that I read shed some light on what he intends to mean here. That it, Have you ever read My Heart, Christ's Home? It's a, it's a little booklet that my mom actually had on the toilet back in the day, and I read through that thing a few times. Uh, it teased out this idea of Jesus coming to your house and knocking on the door. And it looks like he's there to stay. And, and so we have our little, we have our homes and places of comfort and security and privacy. And so it teased out that idea of, is Jesus coming to your home as kind of a guest? You're a little put out by having him here. Or you're just like, you know what? The lounge is probably a good spot for you in the meantime, or do you give them the ensuite and say, actually, God, this whole house is yours. This is yours, Jesus. You can, you can even decorate it exactly how you want. And if you don't like something, that furniture, you can just chuck it. You don't even have to ask me. But there's this part that always got me. It's like, well, Jesus is kind of ambling around the house. He's not saying much, and he goes to that closet. And he's like, what's in here? And you're like, well, that's my stuff. Like, kind of private it's not really for you to be looking at and rifling through and you know feeling a bit put out that Jesus is kind of interested of what's in the closet what's in that room well they that that's my you know my personal space that's my so that we would have parts of our lives that are kind of reserved for us and and Jesus he's not really permitted to 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 just freely go in there and we feel comfortable with it and we're happy about it and so we're like oh how long is he going to be here you guys have hosted somebody, right? It, it weighs on you a bit. You're thinking about their food and their activities, and, and you're kind of half of you is thinking about that and occupied. You're just occupied. But is it a bad thing to be occupied with Jesus? No, but we can still, because of our flesh, we're like, what about this downtime I need? What about me time? And, and, we, and you say that, it just sounds bad. It sounds awful. When Jesus is there just... You could have a conversation with him right now, but you've got other plans. You know, hey, we got this plan, we're doing this thing, and you're not really involved. Um, so on, following on from that, the temple, it's a holy place, right? It's a place sanctified for the offerings of God, the worship of God. There were the singers that were to be singing. There was the showbread and the altar of incense and the menorah that was to be lit at all times and the holy of holies, this sacred, sanctified place. An interesting story is if you read through the Old Testament and the condition that that temple found itself in because of who was high priest at the time or who was king. Because during the days of Eli, they'd let that menorah go out every night. It was supposed to be lit 24 hours a day, but they let it go out. There were other people who let Tobiah use it as a flop house. There were times where Eli's sons, Phineas and Hophni, they were sleeping with women who weren't their wives in the temple. And they were stealing the best portions of meat for themselves. And there were times where it was desecrated, where they had slaughtered an animal inside. And there were times where the door was actually knocked shut and you could not physically open the door because there was so much debris in there. And that's even before it got raised and knocked over. This is when there were, Israel was in full swing. And man, that can be a lot like us. 
You know, we, we're following Jesus, but he's saying, I want Christ to be dwelling in your hearts in faith, that he has access to every part of your life, that he has freedom to move here and there, and that you are surrendered to his fellowship, increasingly so, day by day, that you're not just tolerating Jesus, you're not just accommodating him, but you are loving him, and you want him around, and you want him involved, and you'll, you won't just get his opinion on something, but you seek him and you obey. So is Jesus more of a guest or is he a permanent owner of that house that he, he actually bought with his own blood? So he prayed they would be rooted and grounded in love. If you've ever had palms on your property, I think this is a great illustration for me. You can be a bit lazy and just go, ah, it's little. But have you ever tried to pull out a little palm? Wow, those things are durable. You have to take like, so I've learned when they're small, dig them up, dig up and get rid of them because once they get to be the size of a, a cocker spaniel, you got problems. They are good luck trying to get rid of those things. So, but being established in love, being connected, being grounded in it, like a house is built on a, on a, a foundation of soil um, that has been amended so it doesn't have a bunch of clay in it. It's not expansive. And that good concrete base is placed there. So it's not going to shift. It's not going to move. That we would be founded on the love of Jesus. We'd be rooted in it. it would, we'd just be grabbing onto it. And he wanted all the saints to comprehend. And the word comprehend here, it's not just to know it in your mind, but to seize it, to eagerly take hold of it. The width, the length, the depth, and the height of his love. And his love is wide enough to cover all people for all time. It's eternal in length because he's loved us with an everlasting love. He had a plan of salvation for us before we were even born. And he is going to continue loving us even after we're called home to be with him. His love goes deeper than man can measure. For Jesus humbled himself lower than any man. And died for sinners. He demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. So we could be born again. And his love is higher than the heavens because Jesus has been exalted above all names. And it's greater than all. And we have been made co-heirs with him. So we have this rare privileged position that angels cannot boast. That we are one with Jesus Christ, the Messiah the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We are his and he is ours and we are part of him as part of his body, the church, partakers of his promise. And Paul desired believers who would be filled with all the fullness of God. And I love this quote by Clark. It says, among all the great sayings in this prayer, this is the greatest. To be filled with God is a great thing. To be filled with the fullness of God is still greater but to be filled with all the fullness of God utterly bewilders the sense and confounds the understanding that God would love us that much. Our finite minds can't comprehend the width, length, depth, and height of God's love, yet we can receive Him and experience Him fully with every fiber of our being because our cup overflows, right? We can't possibly contain all His love, but all of your life can experience His love. The implication is that we stop short of receiving that fullness that he's talking about here. The being filled with all the fullness of God. The findings of scientists and doctors differ, but one 
thing that I, I believe they have agreement on is that we do not use all of our brain capacity at all the time. You use some of your brain at some times. Um, God wants us to grow in our capacity to, to receive his love and to share his love with others. And that's something we'll ever be growing in as he begins to work in and through our lives. Closing in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he ends this thought with the doxology, which gives praise and honor to God. And the God who fills us with all the fullness of God, again, all these superlatives, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So us of little brain, we're getting a little overwhelmed at this point. Uh, Have you ever been disappointed when God didn't answer your prayer for a miracle? For us, praying for a miracle is a bit of a stretch, right? Because it's something that's not naturally going to happen. Could it be that your prayer for a miracle and your reason why a miracle was required was far too limited and short-sighted for God to bother with because he intended to do exceedingly above whatever you were asking or thinking? Pretty crazy, right? How awesome is God and his ways? There's miracles that we can imagine God doing. He's able to do exceedingly above that. The greatest thing you've experienced personally in your life, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond that. Now, when you've taken your imagination to the limit, and and some of us have a wild imagination, um, God can do exceedingly abundantly above that as well. And the amazing thing that God does, it says they are according to the power that works in us. Because God has made himself known to us, because he's regenerated us, because we are one in Christ. Demonstrated with the love of Jesus going to the cross and then his resurrection from the dead that proved his power over sin and death forever that we've entered into by grace. Now, since it's God who calls, saves, empowers, and loves To him be glory in all generations, forever and ever. The church is eternal eternal in Christ. uh, Because it says, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations, forever and ever. So God is just unfolding these plans and doing them in a remarkable way beyond our ability to see or realize or appreciate fully. But I pray that we'd appreciate God and the things that he does even more after this chapter. You guys have seen animals and plants and you marvel at the creation that how these things work. I mean, it's so complex and um, I just, I get blown away by even simple things like the different behaviors of animals. I'm like, wow, they could have all been the same, but those birds, they have this weird dance they do and these know, they can fly for thousands of kilometers and go right to the exact spot and like, I don't know how that works and they have little brain, these amazing instincts and Oh, wow. It's just, it's phenomenal. And I think angels, well, I know, angels look upon us and the body of Christ and they go, wow, that God could do that with those folks. 
that he could change them and he could make them different, transform them completely. He looks at your metamorph, they look at your metamorphosis, your transformation, and they're bewildered by the power of God. Just like we look at that, that caterpillar that turns into a moth. We just go, how? How can that happen? That's something angels want to look into, and they're looking into it all the time. What a renewed sense of purpose this brings, knowing that when we are weak, we're strong, knowing that what God has done, he will, he will do. He will accomplish these plans that you don't have. You don't have these plans. You never thought of these plans. You never really cared about them, but God's revealing them, and he's doing it by, for his glory. So to have access into the presence of God, to be able to come before him, just like the high priest could, but in a far greater scope, with greater boldness and confidence in Christ. We don't have to worry that we're going to be struck dead because we transgressed. Jesus has washed us of our sin, and he has made us one with himself. So may he be glorified here, both now and forever. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are glorious in all your ways, that your plans are just amazing. Words cannot describe how awesome you are and the things that you're accomplishing and uh, just being part of your body, being fellowship, being in fellowship with one another and fellow heirs with Christ and being transformed through the renewing of our mind and being regenerated and filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for your fullness. Thank you for your love that it leaves nothing undone, that you are good both now and forever. And uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the great things that you've done and for this revelation, this mystery that you've made known to us, what a day we live in when we can see it uh, born in our own lives, that others would see the manifold riches of your grace, both in the earth and in the heavenlies. Just thank you, Lord, and may, we, uh, may you indeed have the freedom and access into our hearts to speak to us and to correct us and to encourage us that we would receive that as a word from you today to walk in your ways, and to live in the way that fully pleases you by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.